Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that you have given to us to guide us and to protect us. Uh, Those things that will hedge us in, that will keep us on the straight and narrow, especially these Ten Commandments. Help us to remember them, to commit them to memory, to meditate on them. For you say we are to meditate upon your word. Help us, Lord, to use these things to not only better our lives, but the lives of the people around us. And, Lord, increase our faith as we go through these, knowing that you care for us. In Jesus' name, amen. These Ten Commandments are listed in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and Exodus chapter 20. And it is a set of guideposts, it's line delineators, it's lines in the road, it's how we're supposed to travel through life. And of course, as I said last week and the week before, these are Ten Commandments which are summed up by Jesus in just two commandments, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. But these Ten Commandments, if you took them all in a bundle and you tried to sum them up, like what are these Ten Commandments dealing with? Because we know that there's much more than just Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. And if you count the imperatives or the commands in the New Testament, you add those up, there are hundreds and hundreds of commands that we could keep. And of course, again, I say Jesus summed those up and love God as your, love God above all other gods and then love your neighbor as yourself. But what do these ten really focus on? I'm going to give you one word that these ten things focus on. It is desire. God wants our desire or our desires to be correct. For instance, in our desire to worship God, we want to worship God in our own way. We want to say, this is how I want to do it. That's why we have so many idols. First, you shall have no other gods before me. Second, you shall not make any graven image. Thirdly, you shall not take the Lord your God's name in vain. Right? Those things, and you're to worship God on the Sabbath according to the Ten Commandments. The first four, they're God-directed. Our desire is not to do that. In Christendom, for instance... Some people say, I don't need a special day to worship God because it says it in Colossians. I don't need to have an observance of a special day because Christ Jesus is my rest. And that's correct. And I don't need to attend a church anywhere. That's not correct. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says, do not forsake the gathering together of the brothers as is the habit of some. And we want to say, this is how I worship God. God says, no, this is not how you're supposed to worship me. Your desire is contrary to the desire that he sets out. That's why he says, have no other gods before me. We can set up something else that to us is much more important than God whether it's attending a fellowship of believers and being involved with them and really studying to show yourself approved, becoming a disciple, all of those things we can say, no, I just got too much to do. There's a lot of business. There's a lot of things at home I have to take care of. I need some personal time too. You know, after all, I have to cut my fingernails and toenails and brush my hair and brush my teeth and all of those things. Those are really important to me. You don't want me to show up to church stinking after all, do you? And so we have all these lists of things that we say, no, this is more important than worshiping God. God says, nope. You worship me, number one. That's what God says. You worship me, number one. And do not make any graven image. We want God to be in our image. And behold, man created God in his image. Well, I don't think God would condemn a person who sins. Really? You don't think so? You know that the psalm says that God hates sinners. No. Yeah. It does. It actually says that. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Yes, that's true. 
God is love, right? Absolutely. God is love. He loves the whole world, the world full of sinners. But God is just. God hates the wicked, Scripture says. And he will judge the wicked. So those two things apply. Right in the middle is mercy. And so if the wicked come to the mercy, then God will save them for all of eternity. If the wicked do not come to mercy, God will condemn them for all of eternity. And so God says, this is how I do it. And your desire does not matter. My desire does not matter. God says, this is who you're supposed to worship. This is how you're supposed to worship. And in the Old Testament, especially, they would make those idols. And I talked to you about going to Cambodia and places uh, in the east, the far east, where they will have idols, and you can buy all kinds of idols, and you can set them up, and people still do that in the United States. They buy those idols, and they set them up because it brings peace and serenity to the garden, and there's candles, and there's, you know, incense, and they burn all that stuff, and it's just wonderful. It sets the center of your body. It, they just get into that nonsense. And God says it's nonsense. He says we're not supposed to go in that direction. So this idea of desire... No other gods before me. No graven image. Do not take God's name in vain. Well, I can call God whatever I want. Not, you can't. Not if you're going to follow God. God has his own names. And he says, this is the name that you are to call me. When Moses had God revealed to him, what was God's name when God revealed himself to Moses? What did he call himself? I am. What kind of name is that? We look at that and go, what do you mean you are? No, I am. I am means he is. He's outside of time. He's there. You know, we like to talk about things like, well, you know, before creation, in eternity before creation, there was no eternity before creation. It just was. Well, what do you mean? Because time was created in creation. There was no time before that, and God is. It wasn't that he was. It's that he is. Now wrap your mind around that. You try to say, well, but it's eternity long ago. No, it just was. There wasn't any time involved at all. And so when God describes these things to us, it's hard for us to get our mind around it. We don't like to go that far sometimes. We say, no, this is how I'm going to do it. Now let's go to the next six. Yeah, the next six, honor your mother and father. How many of you have never gotten mad at your parents when they are alive? Or maybe they're uh, not around anymore. How many of you? Yeah. I remember getting in fights with my parents. I will not. Oh, yes, you will. You know, and the, and the parent, they're bigger than you. They could make you do things. They got you in line, and you had this adversarial relationship, especially as you hit those teenage years. And you think, wow, my parents are really dumb. And then as you get older, you go, wow, look how much they learned in just a few short years, how wise they became. And so we have a tendency to just go against our parents, right? And so God says, your earthly relationships, the number one thing that you're going to do is you're going to honor your parents because they gave you life and they can make another one just like you and they can take you out if they want to. You know, that type of thing. And so God says, you're supposed to honor them. And if you honor them, that's great. If you don't honor them, you're fulfilling your own desires. Well, what's the next one? Murder. Why do you murder somebody? Because they're not doing what I want. And so your desire is getting in the way of them. Well, what's the next one? Commit adultery. Why do you commit adultery? Because it's what I need at the time. Please. You know, we do that and we just get in all kinds of trouble. What a mess we make for ourselves. And then from adultery, adultery you go to thou shalt not steal. 
Why do you steal something? I want that. Get some money, get a job. No, I want it now. And you're supposed to take your desire according to God and put it to the side. What about lying? Why do you lie? You lie for your own personal benefit. You just might say, well, I'm lying for somebody else. No, because that somebody else is going to benefit you in some way. So you lie for them, which is in turn a benefit to you. That's why you lie. That's why we, not you lie, I don't lie. No, it, we, we all lie, you know, whether it's a prevarication, whether it's an embellishment, you know, those embellishments or not giving the full truth like a half-truth. Uh, when you give a half-truth, it might as well be told as a lie. And then the last thing, the covet. Oh, why do you covet? Because I want. All of these are the I disease. I want to worship God the way I want. I want to have an image of him the way I want. And I want life to go the way I want. And all God is saying is, don't. Put your desires to the side. And if you do that, just remember the Ten Commandments are about desire. It's what God desires for us to bless us as opposed to what we want for ourselves, which leads to destruction. Now, I gave you commandment number one. Last week, and God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And that was for four reasons. He identified himself as the promise keeper in Genesis 13. God identified himself as the one who protected the Israelites from the Egyptians. Third, God has identified himself as the one who provided for them food and water in the wilderness. And fourthly, God has identified himself as the punisher of those who persecute the ones he loves. And so that's why he said, I am the God that delivered you out of Israel. I'm the one who did all of these things. So they're supposed to be reminded of that. And then commandment number one, there is no other God who is omniscient, no other person or thing or entity that is omnipresent, no other God who is omnipotent, no other person, place, or thing that is eternal. It is only God. That's why when God says, have no other gods before me, there are no other gods. He is the one and only. Secondly, uh, the commandment is, you shall not make for yourself any idol, any form. And that's because, number one, any image of God misrepresents him. And I went through that last week. You cannot draw an, an image or make a carving that will represent God properly. And it is almost like profaning him if we do that. But we still insist. You know, I, if you go to Israel today, and I got one actually. I, I have this little idol in my house, an olive wood Jesus uh, he he is up in there, and it's made out of olive wood. And Patty and I, we do not bow down to it. We don't go, oh, the olive wood from Israel. You know, we don't do anything like that. But it's just a nice little carving that's up there. But if we were to take that and put candles around it, a little shrine and a little halo, build some bricks around it, and as soon as we walk in, we bow down to it, that, that would be the idol. Uh, and we're not supposed to make an idol of anything and so god says this and he goes on to say in this particular passage verse five you shall not bow down to them or worship them for i am the lord your god i am a jealous god punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation and of course i made it clear that just because a father sins the children are not going to pay or be punished 
for the sins of the father. It says this in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 21, that if a wicked man turns away from all the sins he has committed and keeps all my decrees and does what is right, he will surely live, he will not die. None of the offenses he has committed will be remembered against him because the righteous things he has done, he will live. And so Ezekiel tells us, if you sin, you get the punishment. Also back in Ezekiel Chapter 20, just a few verses before this, it says, The soul who sins is the one who will die. The son will not share the guilt of the father, nor the father share the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous man will be credited to him, and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against him. So this idea that somebody's sin will go to the third and fourth generation is just not correct as far as being judged. But the sin can be repeated from generation to generation if you choose not to cut or curtail or obliterate sins that you commit. They will not go to the next generation. They will not learn that. Just if, as if you worship Jesus Christ the way you're supposed to, the way I'm supposed to, our next generation will see that. Now, they may not choose that, but they have a proper choice to make if they see us worshiping God. Verse 7, here we had commandment number 3. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. On points on this, number 1, God's name is to be used only for worship or instruction and always in a reverential manner. We're never to say it just flippantly just as a cuss word or an expletive. And also, secondly, we should never use euphemisms in reference to God. And I went through that exhaustive list, which was not exhaustive last week. Just a a few of those, just to remind you. Gosh, gracious, great Scott, oh my goodness, oh my gosh, gosh, cheese, she's, blimey, uh, gosh, dang, gosh, darn, all of those things are euphemisms for God, and we're not to be using those things. And now the question naturally comes up. Well, what can I say then? Right? Does the Bible say that let your words be few before God? It does. It says, let your request be made known, but let your words be few before God. Does the scripture also say where there are many words, sin is not absent? It means... Do you think God is giving us a hint? Talk less. If we talk less, we will be less apt to sin. And if it, what about being excited? What do you say if you're excited? I don't know. What do I say when I get excited? Do I say, wow? Is wow a euphemism? Or do I say, oh my? Something like that? Well, what is oh my what? What are you referring to that is yours? You know, you see, it's so difficult sometimes. And we have just fallen into this culture of say whatever you want. You know, I was down at the beach yesterday. Patty and I were riding bikes. And you'd go by and you'd hear these expletives. What was that? You know, and, and the little kids saying things like that. Then you had the adults. You know, they're not supposed to drink down there, but they still drink and they're saying all kinds of things and that you know it's just like man i gotta pray for these people that are down here we have fallen into a culture where we just say whatever we want whenever we want with no attention paid to god whatsoever and we need to make sure that we keep god at the forefront in this so we don't fall into the trap of taking god's name in vain verse eight commandment number four remember the sabbath day by keeping it holy 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your maidservant, a manservant or maidservant, or your animals, nor the alien living within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, if we were to follow this, we are meeting on the wrong day. If you go to Israel today, Saturday is their day of rest. Friday from sunset to Saturday sunset. That is their holy day. That's sometimes they go to hotels and they just hang out in hotels. They play games with family and friends when we were there before. That's what they did. They went down into the lobby. They have usually huge lobbies in these hotels. And you sit down and you just chit-chat and get along and it's just wonderful and it's a time of communion with each other and you can do it with friends, but you don't work at all. We worship on Sunday. We worship on Sunday because it's the day that the Lord was raised from the dead. And that's the day that we celebrate this fact that God has overcome death. And so worshiping on Sunday is contrary to this commandment because it's very specific. And people in Christendom will say, you need to take Sunday off and not work. I actually had a pastor say to me, uh, after I told him, yeah, you know, we're we're here for Sunday lunch, but I I have to go out and I have to do some work tonight because I also work. And he goes, brother, what are you doing, man? You can't be doing that. You know, this is the Lord's day. You got to take the Lord's day off. You know, a lot of pastors fall into that sin, man. You can't be doing that. I'm going, what are you talking about? You know, Colossians, again, it says, for those who would say to not eat certain foods because they're less holy or to observe certain new moons and festivals and Sabbaths. This idea that you have to keep the Sabbath, we have kept their Sabbath. It's in Hebrews chapter 4. If you read Hebrews chapter 4, we have entered into our rest. The Sabbath itself was not created so that we might observe it. It was created to give us a time of rest. We have our ultimate rest in Christ. If you have to work on Sunday, well, you work on Sunday. But do you consider every day the same as far as worship to God is concerned? We should. We should say, it's Monday. Well, it's not Sunday. Well, but you still worship God on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It's not any different. We can do it all the time. Now, it's good, practically, to take a rest, to take a day where you do nothing. I don't know if you're like me, but if I do nothing on a day, guilt comes upon me like I should be more productive there's so much I can do and and if I just stop I go I get all nervous you know but I think God he builds the sense in us that we're supposed to be active because you know he was busy at creation and all of that and we're supposed to take a time of rest I tend to take mine in blocks I will take a week instead of maybe uh, one day a week that type of thing and you can do that you have the freedom to do that as long as you're a worshiper of God. And this is the only commandment that is not repeated to keep in the New Testament. So it is fulfilled. Christ didn't come along and wipe out the worship on the Sabbath. No, 
Christ is our Sabbath. He is our Sabbath rest, and we are supposed to enter into that. We fulfill the commandment to observe the Sabbath when we accept Christ as our Savior. And again, that's in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. You can read about that. And the Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was not made so the man could serve it. And that's the point. And if you wanted a reference on that, that would be Mark chapter 2, verse 27, where Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. <clears throat> in Colossians, it was in chapter 2, verse 16, so do not let anyone make rules for you about eating and drinking or about a religious feast, a new moon festival, or a Sabbath day. In Romans fourteen five, one man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. So whatever you want to do, however you want to worship God on a particular day or every single day, that is up to you. Commandment number five, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land your Lord your God is giving you. And this is a command with a promise. If you obey your parents, if you honor your parents, if you listen to their counsel, it says you will have a long life. How many times as a parent have you said to a child or how many times did your parents say to you, now I don't want you to, and fill in the blank. Now stop doing and fill in the blank. Some of us had those warnings a little more often than others. Some children were more compliant and then they rebelled when they became older. According to Dr. James Dobson, those compliant children are the ones to be even more worried about because once they get out there on their own, it's just like they bust out of their shell. They've kept that shell around them and then they get on their own in adulthood. It's like, what happened to you? And they just go full bore into the world or whatever they want to go into. And the Lord says, no, listen to your parents and make sure you listen to them for life. Now, are all parents perfect? Well, we are. No, I'm kidding. Nobody is perfect. Not one single parent is perfect. You're going to make mistakes with your kids. My parents made mistakes with us. And when I've made mistakes with my kids, I've tried to go back and say, you know, I'm sorry. I did this wrong. And I, I should have done this right. And usually you're more harsh with your first child than you are with the successive children. The last one is like, whatever, you know, just go, go do whatever you want. Just follow, go with your brother, you know. And then the older brother or sister says, I, I always got in trouble for that. Why are you giving them such freedom? This is not fair. Well, you were the oldest. I'm sorry. That's just the way it works. You know, if you're the oldest, you're like the icebreaker that goes through the field in Antarctica and you bust it open for all the rest of the siblings. So if you're number three or number four, you know, if you're number one, I'm sorry, you had to go through that. You know, that's just part of life. And so this commandment to honor your mother or father, if you do that, you will live long in the land. It says in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 17, and by the way, if you have parents or if you have children or grandchildren, put this up in a prominent place. Put it up on their door, on their mirror, just wherever you want to put it. This is what it reads. The eye that mocks a father that scorns obedience to a mother will be pecked out by the ravens of the valley and will be eaten by vultures. You know, so you just put that up there and you remind the kids, this will happen to you if you don't obey me. You know, it's good for the kids to have a little fear. 
Now, if they're 17 and 18 years old and they're still fearing you, you haven't done it right. But if they're three and four years old and they're fearing you, that's, it's a healthy fear. Not a dreaded fear, but a healthy fear. Like you get ready to discipline a little child and they know what's coming. If they run to your leg and hold on to it, I'm sorry, you know, and they're grabbing it. Okay, you got some healthy fear there. If they look at you and they're three or four years old and they just... Mm, they look mean at you and they're contentious and okay something is going on here the rod of correction applied to the seed of understanding will remove their rebellious heart they will not die according to scripture if you just give them a little swat on the rear end it's going to be okay and that's the only place recommended that i would recommend to anybody never do it anywhere else never take a switch you know and beat them upside the head but this idea that you install a little bit of fear in the child will give them long life and scripture says if you don't love them you hate them or excuse me that's not quite said right if you don't discipline them then you hate them And so God says, discipline them. Some children need a little bit more than others. And we understand that. But God says, honor your mother and father and make sure your children understand this. This is a command with a specific blessing tied to it, number one. Secondly, the command is never to be dismissed either while the parent is living or after they have deceased. That means you don't want to dishonor them if they have died. You don't want to speak badly about them. Well, you know, they were just terrible. It's just, they're gone. Don't even talk bad about them. Just let that stuff rest. It is to man's honor to overlook an offense. And so if we take those times of dishonoring that they had if, as parents towards any one of us, and we just say, well, you know, I'm putting it to the side. I'm going to honor them in this way. So whether they're living or they are deceased, This command never is dismissed. It is always in place. Also, it is the job of the parent to discipline, correct, direct, and encourage their children. So not only do the children have to be submissive to the parents and honor them, but the parents have to be the ones who install discipline. Proverbs 29, 15, the rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. Proverbs 23:13 Do not withhold discipline from a child if you punish him with a rod he will not die punish him with the rod and save his soul from death and also it is the job of all children to be submissive and to honor their parents and so those are the points I want to give you Proverbs 19:26 says he who robs his father and drives out his mother is a son who brings shame and disgrace and Proverbs 20:20 20, 20, if a man curses his father or mother his lamp will be snuffed out in pitch darkness uh, recently there was an article June 15th, 2016. It was posted online by Inside Edition. Elderly couple facing eviction after grandson allegedly scans them out of their home. Helen and Hank, 87 and 88, are now packing away more than 56 years worth of things they accumulated in preparation for their Monday eviction. They claim none of this would have happened if not for their grandson, whom they have accused of deceiving them into forfeiting their Thousand Oaks home. I didn't think that my grandson would do that to me. He would be the last person. Trusting him, they said, they signed the house over to him. He proceeded to sell the house, pocket the money, and walk away while they got evicted. Now, this idea of honoring your mother and father, it also applies to grandparents. Anybody that is in a successive line to our parents, we are to honor them. 
And any parent that says, oh, you don't have to honor the grandparent, that's nonsense. We're to honor those who are older and older than us in the Lord. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. So this is a commandment. Anybody that is older than us, not just our grandparents, but anybody who is older than us, we're to treat them like fathers and mothers. Honor your father and mother. With this is a promise of long life. It applies by extension to those things. So that commandment is a little more far-reaching. We get to commandment number six, you shall not murder. Point number one, you shall not murder does not mean you shall not kill. Because this is often confused. Whenever you hear somebody say, you know, the death penalty isn't right, you're not supposed to kill. That's not what it says. It says you're not supposed to murder. Now, murder is where you premeditate an act perpetrated on somebody else that will end their life. That's what it is. And I don't care what your reason is. Privately, no one is allowed or given permission to take a life of another. That does not mean the government cannot. God has set up the government in order to do that very thing, to limit evil on the earth. Even in the pro-Mosaic covenant, capital punishment was installed. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. Moses was told, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. And so he said, This is what you're supposed to do as a judicial act. If somebody kills somebody else, that man is to die. Also in the Mosaic Covenant, the death penalty was installed. Leviticus chapter 24, verse 17. If anyone takes the life of a human being, he must be put to death. Now, this wasn't done without an investigation. Uh, in the New Testament, capital punishment was also installed. It is implicit in this passage, Romans chapter 13. It starts in verse 4. It says, For he is God's servant to do you good, talking about the government. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an angel of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. When he's talking about a sword... He's not talking about just pulling it out of the sheath. He's talking about using it to mortally wound. The government has the power, according to this passage, to mortally wound somebody for whatever offense they have committed. If they have committed, some, if they have committed murder against somebody else, the government is in charge of taking their life. That's why this idea of a just war, there's a history of just wars. Do we go to war to save people? And is that just to do that? To take a life of somebody because they're taking lives of innocence? Scripture says, save the innocent. That's what we're supposed to do. We're also supposed to feed our enemy. Give them water. We are the only army in just about the history of the world that has consistently taken care of our enemies, even more so than we take care of our regular citizens. Just look at Gitmo down there. Guantanamo Bay. I mean, they have these three-course meals. They have time. The Muslims have time to worship down there, and they are definitely our enemies. Ooh, there are those in power that want to just release them. But they, you know, if, if I was in the government, I would make a move to make sure that they were executed because of all the people they have killed. That's because God says it here. Now, I'm going to give you another side of this in a moment. Anyone who... Also, anyone has the right to use lethal force 
if life or property is threatened. Now, that is a time that you can take somebody's life according to Scripture. The first one is, you shall not murder, does not mean you shall not kill. Second, capital punishment is taught in the Bible. Thirdly, anyone has the right to use lethal force if life or property is threatened. In possessions, Exodus 22, 2 says, if a thief is caught breaking in and is struck so that he dies, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. In Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 12, then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. They were worried about building the wall around Jerusalem again. Verse 13 says, therefore I stationed some people behind the lowest points of the wall. This is Nehemiah writing at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So if somebody comes to ransack your home, if somebody comes to take the life of a family member, you're to use lethal force against them if that is the case jesus told his disciples could you ever imagine jesus telling you get an (laughs) ak-47 you know you laugh he told his disciples to get swords why do you have a sword around jesus's time to protect yourself and use lethal force jesus said that now i know that some look at this and go no that's just not right you're taking another life created in the image of God and God says no that is right if somebody wants to kill you or somebody else who is innocent stop them if you don't stop them I believe a greater sin is committed even if you think it is a sin to take a life which in this particular case it is not we are to stand up you know if you saw a suicide bomber going into a mall and you had a CC permit concealed carry and you, you knew without a shadow of a doubt it was a suicide vest. And he's walking with a couple AK-47s. Would you use lethal force to stop him? I'll tell you, my personal preference, I would not hesitate. I would do everything I can to the point of even giving my own life to stop that individual from taking the lives of the innocent. You know, God hates the violent. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, it says, There are six things that the Lord does hate. Yes, there are seven that are detestable. Now, when you think of the word detestable, what kind of image comes to your mind of somebody's face? What do they do? They just, it's just, I'm so disgusted, right? That's what they, well, get that in your mind with God. And he says, there are six things that I hate, seven that are detestable. Haughty eyes. Haughty eyes is pride, where you go, <laughs> guy goes, I hate that. You know, just dip that one eye a little bit. I hate that. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. God hates the liar. And, you know, the world says God loves everybody. No, he, that justice side, he hates. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. But on this side, it is grace and mercy just come to the mercy and god will give you all the mercy you need and and give you the forgiveness but if the person is stuck on that haughty eyes lying tongue 
Hands that shed innocent blood. That is number three. He hates the individual, these suicide bombers, these people that go into McDonald's in Munich. God hates that individual. Now, he died for them. He so loved them that he died. But if they just say, forget it, I don't want the salvation, they're going to be under the hate of God. Right? Haughty eyes, lying tongue, hands that kill, and hearts that devise wicked schemes. (laughs) How can we deceive them today? You know, how many internet uh, letters have you gotten? There's $3 million in account in Uganda. And if you just send us $500, we can get the money. Oh, man, the Lord is going to pounce on that like no other. Honey eyes, hands that kill. Uh, Excuse me. Six things of the Lord to say, yes, there are seven that are detestable. Honey eyes, hands that kill, heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil. Oh, there's evil? Let's go mob mentality. Let's go break into a store, man. Let's just, ah, I got a TV, you know, and they're running away. I'm telling you, God is going to judge all of that. Every single bit of that. Feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. Guess what I heard about you know, so-and-so over here. Oh, man, God, he, I, would, I don't even want to be close to the vengeance of God when it comes to any one of these things. Now, I haven't been able to finish uh, these. We'll get to them next week. But these Ten Commandments are for us. If you find that you're violating all of these, and by the way, we all should recognize that we are violating all of them. We fall in the grace of God and we say, God... Please forgive me. Help me to do what is right. That's why we commit these things to memory. May God grant you the grace to where you can turn to these things in your time of need, that God would make it relevant to you when any situation comes up where you may violate one of them, whether it's taking God's name in vain, where it's bearing false witness, where it's not honoring your mother and father even after their death. May God give you the ability to recognize that and turn from that. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would use these Ten Commandments in our lives to just, Lord, to set us right, to help us, to to keep us from violating what you have set down. May we always hold these things up as true and just and for our benefit. May we never lament that it is a heavy burden to bear, for we know that your word says your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Help us just to crucify that flesh every day, Lord. Help us to pick up our cross and follow after you. In Jesus' name, amen.